Middle of the Pack. Real discussions for the middle of the pack by the middle of the pack. We'll talk about training and racing, but we're here to deep dive into the life topics of the weekend warriors and obstacle course racing enthusiasts. Obstacle course racing isn't just a sport, it's a lifestyle. We are the middle of the pack. And welcome to Middle of the Pack Podcast. We are back for a second week in a row. Guys, we are on a roll. My name is Maggie B. ATC. I am the OCR trainer. And guys, we have a very extra special episode for you this week. I am here again with my co-host, Charles. Charles, go ahead, say hi. What's up, everyone? We are also here with a slew of guests today. We are talking about the ultra and that ultra important DNF. We are talking about experiences other people have when they DNF ultras or races in general um, and the lessons they learn, how they get their redemption, and really just how an DNF will change them as a racer. We are going to go ahead and jump into our first conversation. So, to start us off, we have Pete and Ben. Guys, go ahead, say hi, introduce yourselves, tell us a little bit about your racing experience. Pete, we're going to go ahead and start with you. Okay, the old guy first. Um, so, I started Mark Basin Spartans back in 2015, just one super. It was about a two-year buildup of just kind of getting back into shape, um, and then just slowly getting myself ready on my own without any training or anything, any trainers, you know, just kind of putting it together on my, my own kind of concept of what should work and then i worked up i did a i think four times trifecta in 2017 and that kind of transitioned into different races um more more difficult in volume and so i did the new jersey ultra in 2019 and then something happened i don't know but for some reason my last year's race schedule didn't work out so well um so after this extended layover um did Palmerton, we went to Hawaii and did the trifecta weekend. And then I took my crack at Killington this past weekend and I've done a, my, my 31st race. I had 30 races. I had issues with, you know, cramps, sprains, minor scratches, things like that, rope burn. But um, this is the only time I actually DNF'd and it was, you know, a shocking experience in some ways because I felt prepared and I was in many ways. But uh, there were just so many things that happened in the race that just, we're just really hard to overcome. And at some point I said, it's just not worth it going anymore. Awesome. And Pete, mm-hmm. you have raced ultras prior to Killington, correct? Yes, I did run and complete the 2019 New Jersey Ultra. Okay, we're going to get into that a little bit more. But mm-hmm. first, Ben, go ahead. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us your OCR experience. Yeah, certainly. Um, so my experience um, with OCR racing actually only comes from this year. Um, I started out um, kind of just headfirst diving in. Um, I literally decided to go to Montana and uh, complete the Big Fork uh, Montana Spartan Trifecta weekend there. My first race was the Beast um, and then followed by the Super M Sprint the next day. That was in May. Um, and then fast forward a few months after that, um, we went to Went on to do the Sprint and the Super in New Hampshire. Um, supposed to be in Massachusetts, but because of COVID, it got uh, moved to New Hampshire. Um, I did that leading up into um, the Killington Ultra. 
Um, that was my, the Killington Ultra was my sixth race. Um, while I did finish, I definitely want to next year compete with it and definitely, um, you know, earn more recognition for my award and, you know, of course, be more honored um, with my award next year in the, in the age group um, heat, um, definitely. So I definitely want to compete with it next year um, and definitely I'm not resting on my laurels of, of what happened this year. Um, so I only want to be on the up and up. So I'm, you know, definitely up and coming. Awesome. So we invited you guys on together because this is a little bit of a unique situation. Pete, Ben, and myself, we all do know each other personally. We have been out, we have trained together. I was, um, I do coach Pete and Ben, you and I found each other through Facebook and I was helping, giving you some guidance in terms of training for the ultra and getting you ready. You did come out and train with us. And then you guys actually ended up finding each other on the ultra course as well. So I am going to kind of just hand the reins off to you two. And um, I just kind of want you guys to talk about each of your individual experiences and collectively your experiences on what happened out in Killington. So Whoever wants to start, go ahead and take us off. Um, maybe let's focus on maybe lap one, because I feel like there's a lot of coverage. Um, oh, yeah, we, we, we can on lap one like crazy, definitely. Yeah. Right. And I mean, that, that first ascent of the first two miles, I guess it's not actually a peak. It was just kind of that meandering two-mile elevation gain. You know, we did train a lot with Megan um, at Blue Hills and other areas. So we did, you know, prepare our legs well. And that wasn't really a shock for us. Um, it was... Like colder than I thought it was going to be that day. I think the weather was a factor that we we knew was going to happen, but it 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 was bigger than I really expected. Um, yeah, the first couple of miles weren't too bad, and um, you know we got to Death March, and I remember when Ben and I crossed paths. It was um, yeah, no, it was after like, Death March, right? It was, it was after it was after the Death March, um, but I think it was before. Bear Mountain, though, like before we got to Bear Mountain, um, but after the death march, it was somewhere between there. Ended up uh, crossing right. paths like briefly, um, but yeah, no, like as Pete said, like the weather in the morning, it was I think it was like forty five degrees in the morning, so it was actually relative, like definitely chilly. Um, so I'm certainly like me personally, I'm glad I definitely dressed in a long sleeve uh, compression shirt because um, I definitely needed to stay warm but yeah though those first two hills were definitely no joke like they started us off you know like the steepness of the first hill and then we you know briefly plateaued and then we literally made one right turn and then we went right up the second um you know legs were firing after that and then you know we just honestly we just had to just grind through you know the rest of it um the death march honestly I feel like overall was definitely the, the rather easiest part of Killington. The, it was the other climbs, I think, um, especially in the first lap with, um, with Bear Mountain. And then um, I don't even know what to call. I'm going to call it the de facto second death march. Um, I think those were definitely more challenging and more difficult, especially as we, as we progress later in the race. Uh, this is such a surreal feeling hearing someone say like, Oh, the death march was actually pretty easy. Cause no! I'm used to it being later, though. That's why I was like, how is that the easy one? So, 
I've been saying it at least since 2019. The death march is always the easiest climb. People just think it's the hardest because it always comes at like mile nine, ten. Yeah. They're toasted, but then like yeah. they have, they're mentally prepared for it. They know what to expect. For the most part, you can see all of it, mm-hmm. um, and then so then once you get to the top of the death march, you're like, oh, okay, it's all done hill from here like we're just going to the finish line so people think okay the death march is coming the death march is coming the death march is coming but then once it's done you're like okay i'm through it we're, we're good to go and that's why that mile marker 14 sucked so bad was because usually we're not used to climbing after that but we talk about this death march 2.0 or whatever and a lot of us from 2017, 2018, 2019, we remember having to go down that hill. And that mm-hmm. was always the hill that I remember the newbies coming in from the sprint while we were all up finishing up the beast going, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, because they don't have trail shoes on. They're in their regular running sneakers with no traction, bombing down this hill. And everybody else is like, um, if you take us out, we are all going to die. Wait. And it's because it is such a vertical. That's the hill you... That's, is that the hill you've always referenced where it's like, bring trail shoes because you're going to slide down it? Is that the one you've always... That's not the one yes. you were talking about. I always thought it was the one where, like the old days, where you go down to the water, you come up, and then you do the you do the Bear Mountain side, and you go up the one top peak. And it's that one that you come down to like where Twister was... And that one, that's the one I always thought no, you were talking about. That's the one no. that was always wet when I when I ran the races. That's why I was like, no. yeah, I've seen people slip on that one. Okay. Yeah, it's the, uh, it's that, like, the one that looks like, what is it, the cheese rolling competition they do in England? It's like, it's just straight downhill. <laughs> that one. Yes. No one likes, no one likes that. I, I don't know what the trail is, but I always call, I just referenced it's, the double black diamond. It's not a trail. It's I think they just found it. They're like, this looks steep. And they just <laughs> put the. Put the course on it. It's only like 700 feet, too. Like, it's about probably like 700 feet. So it's not even, you know, as high as, you know, Bear Mountain or the Death March. But it's it's just so steep. Like, it's it's hard It's mm-hmm. hard to really get your steps right and mm-hmm. get in a rhythm, you know? Only gone down it and thankfully didn't break an ankle trying mm-hmm. to go down it. So, what? I mean, we talk about this climb. What, what was your guys' reaction once you saw that? So actually, back, I back up. So, you know, after the Death March, I like how Missy takes these courses and kind of reimagines it. Because I'm used to going, doing the water, the Tarzan swim, and then going up the hill. But she kind of reversed the course. So we came out of the woods trail that I was like, oh, I'm backwards because I've done Bones and Beats multiple times. So it really reimagined that for us. And um, I think, you know, going down for the Death March in that water, you know, I've done before i've done the jersey ultra and it was frigid in 2019 and that water i think almost everyone i felt like had a lot of shock with their legs and i felt maybe i should take like maybe more cold baths for a week leading up to it because that water i think hurts everyone's legs even when we weren't cramping due to muscle use because we had good electrolyte balance we were well trained i think everyone walking out was hobbling and i remember i i couldn't get a full stride in for a good mile mile and a half so i think everyone you know was starting to get up to that hill looking up to and our legs were not at 80% yet. And we're like, Oh God, we're, we're not really ready where it should be. And it's not because of like preparation, just that water really was a good gut punch to us right away. Yeah, no, like, and piggybacking off of that, like my experience, like, I mean, and I, and I even told, I even told you Pete, like, 
I knew the Tarzan swing was coming. So literally, like the whole week before KU, I literally was taking cold showers just to try to get you know accustomed to like that shock. But even doing that, I, I remember I, I I jumped into that water and immediate, literally, practically immediately. My, my arms, my triceps, my legs, like, literally just locked up. And it, it almost was, like, so it was almost like like a like a scene in, like, a horror movie or something like that in the water. Because it's, like, literally, it's, like, I can't even move, but I'm just floating. I'm just floating. But I can't move because it's, like, it's like I'm par- I, feel, I felt like I was legit paralyzed yeah. in there, you know, like. For, for like a good, I'd say like minute. And then, you know, I finally gained some, like at least some control back and I was able to swim over there. But yeah, no, that definitely sh- shocked me. I'd say lap one, definitely. Like, like lap two, I, I kind of, you know, figured out, okay, like I know this is going to happen. I expected it. And so I knew what, what came in lap two, but lap one, it was absolutely terrible. And I, and I remember, um, and I remember, like, the obstacles after that just being so difficult. Like, even, like, the A-frame cargo, you know, was was hard. Like, even getting over, like, the – um, what, what's that, What's that? like, where the wall's like this and you have to, like, climb under it to get over it? Like The inverted wall. Yeah, the inverted wall. Yeah, like, yeah, that was just so difficult because, like, I just my, – my arms just locked up so much and I still couldn't, you know – I still didn't have, like – like all the free feeling, you know, in my arms to be able to do that. And it just, it just made life hell. I'd say for a good, at least two miles. Definitely. So a couple things. One, I did warn you guys, if you listened to the podcast last week, you are going to get into that water and you are going to cramp. They were putting that death march early and they were expecting every single person to cramp because you have such a steep incline and you're spending so much time at those ranges of motion the second you get in that water and that instant um cooling of your muscles Mm -hmm. you're gonna cramp but there was a dunk wall before that and i heard the dunk wall was actually worse than the swim in terms of water temperature why why weren't you guys cramping on the dunk wall or did you and just that dunk wall before Felt fine for me. Um, the slip wall was the, the rope's rather high. It took me about three tries to get onto the slip wall rope, but um, it, maybe it was just le- less deep water, you know, so it didn't it you know didn't get as cold at night and the sun hit more. But it, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't like a shock. It was just a cool body of water. Whereas that water under the Tarzan was like squeezing our legs with that cold. So you know, from my experience, it wasn't a terrible experience on the dunk wall. Like from my view, like the dunk wall, and like first off, it's quick because you're just in and out, in and out, in and out. So it's not like your body has to like really adjust like to the temperature for at least like an even like a decent distance of time. Like Tarzan swing, you're in that water for like anywhere from like five to potentially like ten minutes. Like you know, depending on how fast you swim, you know, depending on if you know if you fail and you have to do the penalty lap, like like you're in there for a much, you know, greater sustained amount of time. So, you know, because your body has to adjust to that, it was just so much more of a shock versus in and out, in and out, in and out, and then eventually you're on the slip wall. You know, it's, it was just a lot di- more of a different dynamic in that perspective. Quick question. both of y'all, Did both of y'all just jump right into the, the, the water? Not the dunk wall, but the swim? That, that Honestly, I'm the jump. type of person that will just jump right in because – you got to get used to it some way, you know, like, like, like people spend a lot of, and, and especially with all the time cutoffs, 
you know, you didn't really have time to, you know, to play around and dilly down. Like you, like you can't tip around it. You yeah. just got to just go in like, you know, and just hope your body adjusts, you know, because again, you're under time duress the whole oh. time. Oh, I'm aware. I've, I've done it enough times, but when it comes to like preserving your body and cramping, especially if it is cold water, uh, you don't have mm-hmm. to like slow motion it in, but it is easier than just like jumping in, shocking the full system. And then also, I, I wish we video recorded this because since I didn't run this race, but I've done video uh, Killington Ultra enough times, I have a, like a sick satisfaction smile when I hear about this stuff because I'm like, ah, <laughs> other people can suffer now. Able to hear about this, mm-hmm. um, knowing full well, like, I'm actually learning about the course right now, listening to you guys, because I didn't run it. I'm only marshaled. So I can only say what you guys look like coming through the multi-rig. So it it is nice to hear. But Charles, when you asked if Mm. they just straight jumped right into the water, I thought you were referencing the Tarzan swing. (laughs) Oh, well. So did either of you guys beat the Tarzan swing? I got to rope two, and that was it. I literally got to the last rope, and then... You told me, Megan, that Bell is farther. Like, and, and I literally yeah. was like, I literally was like three inches away from it. I'm like, oh, it's right there. And then, and then it's like, I just slipped. I'm like, no. So, yeah, no, I, I had to take the L and take the penalty swim. Uh, penalty hey, swim. At least you, yeah, penalty yeah. swim. Second year they've had a penalty swim. Well, it's because they had too many people trying to burpee out of the swim altogether. That's they didn't, 60. They, 90. 90 total. <laughs> right, because it's three, yeah. three obstacles. Three oh, obstacles. the ladder. Three obstacles. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Mm. Yeah. So they do, they won't let you burpee out of it anymore. <laughs> 90 burpees. Holy shit. At one time, too. Like, that's a lot. Yeah. So that's why I was yeah. like, wow, okay. So, yeah, that is still the farthest bell. Like, Tarzan still holds true. That's the farthest bell to hit. Knock on wood, I've still never failed it. Mm-hmm. Granted, I didn't run it this year. <laughs> Five years strong. Okay, so you guys both made it into transition well before the cutoff. I'm hearing a lot of the people that DNF this year just straight didn't even make it close to that transition. So what what was going through your head as you were coming into transition, and how did you guys manage your time to make sure you got there yeah so i mean i recall being at about noonish when i was getting past the um the irish wall with the vertical cargo that wasn't properly labeled on the map <laughs> but um yeah um you know i was talking to people because it was there's a point where the, with this the mixture of like the fast open group and the good good to slower pace age group kind of you know banding together and chatting and people who have done it before are kind of where you know, bouncing back and forth and talking. And we're kind of mentioning we're doing good on time, good on time. And then my main goal was to get to transition, try to get by one o'clock. One thirty was the, uh-oh, you need to be there by. And it just seemed like we were walking. And then I would check my watch and it was 20 seconds later. And I was like, 20 minutes later, sorry. And I'm like, oh dear, it's almost 1230. And then, you know, those, um, I think it was Ram's Head and it was snow, whatever, snow, but peak, that, yeah, that, that just mixture of mountains where we were, I was actually bear crawling uphill because I was starting to fall backwards. You know, it, that was a difficult and just getting drained. And um, when I got down to the the second sandbag carrier, the first for the main loop, because it was one for the ultra only, um, I looked at my watch and it was like 135. And I was like, I should be in transition right now. And 
there's transition, Burk hoist, helix, which is easy but takes time, and then transition. And it, you know, it was about a nine minute doing the, the sandbag loop, dropping it off. And then I remember I was fighting back tears because you know, you, the emotions are running high. You feel the panic, the people cheering you on, but then they're calling out 15 minutes left and you're still moving. Um, so that was a very fast herc hoist. And after the helix, I got in there and it was 150. And, you know, they're announcing 10 minutes until your your bands are cut. And, you know, I tear open my box. I realized that my sandwich, which I just ate before this podcast, was sitting at home along with the soup that I was going to eat. So, yep, I did that good stuff. Oh no, Pete! We talked about this like I've, the night before. I've made that mistake. Remember when I was like, "What are you mm-hmm. putting in?" Like you have all your food. I said, "Go get some potato chips. Mm-hmm. Go go get some junk food. Like put it in in the morning." Yeah. Oh, yeah, so I dig a salt and vinegar chips because salt's awesome for racing, and vinegar is the bomb because I'm Polish. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I did add um, cider donuts because you said I need to look for something. I'm like cider donuts are. Northeast, awesome. So they were in there, and um, like you know, it kind of looked like a little bit of a medical triage unit in the transition area. Like, I don't recall exactly how it was in New Jersey in 2019, but there were a lot of people that were hurt. Like, one guy had his arm in a cloth string, and his looked like his leg was also getting bandaged or iced, and like it's kind of stepping over the wounded carefully but quickly to get past them. And it it was a kind of frightening sight because there were a lot of people were hurting. Um, it was several people you know, near me that were not moving, whether they finished late or they just got off course and just came down. And, you know, I was trying to put my stuff together. I, I didn't, my batteries were not put into my lamp because I had the paranoia of it turning on overnight and draining. So, you know, trying to jam those batteries in the right way, sealing it, and then, you know, trying to refuel. And the guy next to me, I, I couldn't figure out where the water was. It was by the porta potty. So I couldn't process that. So the guy had a water bottle and just said, do you want, because these, these two guys near me both had tapped out and I'm like, please, because I, I can't figure it out. And so somehow I changed shoes, swapped out gear, got myself ready. Um, and without in five minutes, you know, eating the bag of chips in my hand because I realized I couldn't eat everything in time. So I'm just going to walk on course and have a picnic on the go because that's what you do when you do the second lap, apparently. Just be out there before two. And um, also realizing I forgot my, um, I thought ibuprofen was uh, acetaminophen. You know for the swelling because at that point i was kind of feeling my knees were starting to get a little bit shocked and a little tingly and spiky so in swapping out my thinner alters to my thicker um hoka speed goats i thought would help that um but i was noticing more when i went any time downhill that my knees were the big problem uphill was not the issue it was that all those rough downhills that were really kind of making lap too hard and that's actually when i uh we did that first hill, that big hill, and that's when I noticed somebody in a white compression shirt, kind of hard to miss Ben. I don't know if you can see him here, but he's a tall African-American guy. So with a white shirt, you kind of spot him on a rock, and I'm like, oh, dear, because Ben passed me around the slip wall area, and then I caught up to him. So I went, maybe Ben could talk about when, you know, him. So was two other guys stopped by when talking to you for a little bit, I think? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um... Got yeah, God and Brian Sherman, like you, you, you and him were like were like hand in mm-hmm. hand when, when you all met me. But yeah, no, like transition. Um, I'll just start from the beginning. Like, I mean, I definitely first off, I'll say I definitely need to get a Garmin watch. That is the first move I think I, I, need, I need is a what Garmin you, watch. What are you currently doing? <laughs> nothing. Oh my gosh, Ben! I told you, you, you needed a watch. watch. Oh yeah. my god. I, 
but, 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 but let me explain. Let me. I got the explanation. Okay. So, so okay. So literally, I just ingrained in my mind, just try to move as fast as I can for as long as I can. Definitely, definitely, like my inexperience came out there. I will say that. Um, I definitely need a pace plan going forward. But what I did during the race, um, honestly, like I was just, again, just trying to move through it as fast as I can, um, but also trying to like preserve just just enough energy and, you know, utilizing my gear and utilizing my tools and my belt. Um, and every here and there, I just check up, check in on time. Like, um, with like age group racers, like I'd just be like, Hey man, you got the time, you know, just to keep, you know, in mind, like, you know, where I am and where I have to be. Um, I ended up making transition, um, 45 minutes early. So I got there at one fifteen. Um, but similar to what Pete said, it literally looked, looked like a, like, and I even said this in my YouTube video, it looked like a war zone even there. Like I saw people cramping, I saw people sitting and I just, I was just like, I cannot sit in transition. Like, you know, like your body goes into recovery mode, you know, it's hard to get out, you know, and it, and it just takes longer. And, and my goal my goal was to be in transition no more than five minutes. And I definitely failed at that. I will admit that. Like I was there for like eight, nine minutes. And I think that, I think, I still think that's way too long, even to even up now, even till now, like I still think that's way too long. But um, what I did in transition was I just ate my sandwich. Like I had a turkey sandwich with, with like a bunch of cheese and like tomatoes, you know, prepared the night before. Like it was like thick and loaded. Um, Gave me a lot of energy, which was good. Um, and then I found some Gatorade, um, some liquid IV as well. Um, had some, had, and, and I just like swapped out my gear. Like I swapped out uh, my bag one, or my lap one plastic bag of like, um, like energy chews and like hydration tablets with like my bag too. I swapped that out really quickly, uh, refilled my liquid IV uh, bottle in my belt and then I just try to get right out there as quick as I can. Again, like eight to nine minutes in transition, like I got to be more efficient than that. Like it's not, it, it didn't kill me, but I got to be better than that um, in the future. Like, so then I started the second lap, fast forward to the second hill um, on the second part of the first climb. I got about a third of the way up and my muscles just locked. Like, and it just got to a point where my legs just felt, exhausted like absolutely exhausted um and i i really did feel paralyzed like physically like i literally couldn't move and i just honestly never like even even in the montana beast that i ran you know it's my very first race um in may like i never felt paralyzed like my legs hurt and i'll admit i wasn't physically prepared for that because i didn't train properly for the Montana beast. Um, cause of course I didn't know what I didn't know. It was my first race, but I, the, like that was legitimately the first time like in my life in any activity that like any physical activity that I have been involved in where I really felt paralyzed. Like I couldn't move because my body was just so exhausted. Like, and I just, it, I just, I, I just never had been in that place. And Honestly, at that point, like, that's honestly when I was in that dark place. Like, you know, it's like, you know, my my athleticism is taken away from me. I can't, you know, I can't, like, I couldn't, like, move at the pace that 
I was moving at in the first in the first lap, you know, like it's just my conf I'll admit my confidence was shot and I was like pretty much sunk. Like I was dead in the water at that point. Like and I knew I was just in severe, severe trouble. And then, you know, and then eventually I don't even know how much time elapsed. Um but I saw Pete and the other guy, Brian, um, but yeah, no, Pete literally got me back up on my feet. Like, you know, without him, you know, what happened on what happened on on Saturday definitely wouldn't have happened, you know. And and just seeing him was just a walk. Like, literally, it was a sight for sore eyes. Sore eyes. Like, literally. Like, I, I'm I'm serious. Like, you literally saved my race. Like, probably, like you saved my race because it's like, you know, it's like seeing a person that you trained with, you know, you grinded with, you know, you woke up early, you know, all those mornings in the hills, you know, carrying the rec bags, going for the runs, you know, like just seeing that just like literally just uplifted my spirit out of that dark place. And, you know, it just gave me enough motivation, you know, to, you know, just, just keep fighting, you know, and, and again, like I had never ever experienced anything like that in my life, like anything that physically exhausting, you know, that literally I can't even move. Like I practically was paralyzed, and and it's like even mentally I was paralyzed. Like I was, again, I was literally dead in the water until I saw Pete, and then changed everything. It really, really did. It literally was a he. He literally was the X factor and the game changer for my race. I will. Full on admit that. That's what I was telling you about in that chat that like Killington is physically exhausting, but it's made to break you like mentally. Mm. And that when you can mm. find someone on course, it definitely makes things a lot easier. Like that's what mainly got me through most of my first attempt. Me and my buddy paired up because we were both we were both undertrained, but we got I mean we we missed like the final cutoff. So we got out of pit and then we literally had like K two to go up and so we had the death march and come back down. We got cut off. We missed it by five minutes. And then uh, yeah, the next day I didn't I didn't hang out with anybody. Not the next day, the next attempt. And then the third attempt, I just made friends as I went. And that's how <laughs> I got through it. It's like as long as you can keep yourself distracted because you don't have you can't bring headphones and you can't I mean, you could technically run with someone the whole time, but you would really have to find that like right paced person. But like once you find people on course, it's pretty it changes everything about the mental game of Killington. If the person you're running with is like in a really dark place, they're hurting. You have to make the decision of, OK, do I stick with them or do I keep running? Um, I, I mean, I was out there this past Saturday marshalling, obviously. Um and I was seeing ultras coming through all morning and it got to the point, you know, we were at mile 11-ish for what the ultra would be for the first lap of the multi-rig. And, you know, once 11.30 hit, I was checking my watch consistently. I was calling out the time saying, ultras, the time is now 11.30. You have two and a half hours. It's 11.45, you have two hours, 15 minutes. And I, I eventually went and I looked on Athlinks to see how long it took um, Josh Fiore, who wound up winning, mm -hmm. um, what it, his time from the swim to transition. And I saw it took him an hour and 45 minutes. So once people came through at that like two hour mark, in my head, I'm like, 
ooh, guys, like it's not looking good. But you know, I wasn't saying that. I was saying, guys, you have an hour and a half to go six miles. You have, you know, all this time. And then it got to the point it was 110. Josh Fury had already come through on his second lap. And I see an ultra coming through. And I'm like, ultra, it's right now 110. He looks at me, he's like, am I going to make it? I'm like, honestly, you have to go six miles in 50 minutes. And you have a big ass climb coming up. I, I had heard horror stories about that mile 12 climb, but I didn't know what hill it was. Um, all I had heard was that last climb is going to kill people. Um, so, and I, I told you, Pete, that last climb, the rumor has it, that last climb is murder. Um, your hands and knees crawling. So when that ultra came through and was like, am I going to make it? I'm like, honestly, no, I'm sorry. I hate to be the one to tell you, but you're not going to make it. And the people that I did talk to who did ultimately end up DNFing, they said mentally they were okay because they were going at a pace where they were talking to everybody around them and they were just, you know, trying to stay mentally with it with all of the age group racers and whatever else who were running the beast. And I know that on lap two, anytime at least I ran Killington, that is when you have ultras passing you, you know, not only are they calling out, you know, ultra on your left or whatever. Um, I always make a point to say, good job, ultra. Or, hey, how are you feeling? Mm -hmm. um, just talk to them because that's what's going to pull them through. That is, that was actually a big variable. Like, you know, even just the Spartan community in general, like, you know, even people that, you know, I didn't know from Adam, you know, but, they, but they but they knew they weren't going to complete or finish the ultra like they were giving you know the, i i can't tell you how many racers gave me you know their hydration their hydration packs or you know energy chews or tailwind you know like people like i could like i certainly would not be in the position i am in today without that without them either like and you know like I, like like how i mentioned pete was an x factor like you know, your environment around you is also an X factor. And we're not just talking about weather here. We're talking about people that you interact with and the people that you meet on the way, you know, like, you know, and, and it's, and it, and it comes in many forms, whether they give you, you know, nutrition or even just, you know, a motivational pep talk while you're, while you're in race combat mode, you know, like it, it comes in many forms. And, you know, that's something I feel like has to be addressed because, it, it plays a major role in people's success. You know, the DNF rate at Killington is already, you know, astronomically high. It's the highest in, in the country, you know? So it's like, it, again, it's the de facto death race, pretty much. Like, you know, so it's like any type of positivity or anything, you know, environmentally that can help, you know, in particular, the Spartan community, you know, it's, it plays, it plays a factor. It play, it really, really does. And, and, and that's honestly something that, that I definitely wouldn't have seen until I like, and it's something I haven't seen until I ran this ultra is, you know, how much of a factor that is, you know? Yeah. I mean, also just begin off the sandbag and, you know, going to transition, you know, you get everyone's family and friends cheering you on and they're cheering you on, even though they don't know you. So I think the major aspect is you get through transition and you realize people are cheering you on. I, I think it'd be hard to imagine tackling because you know what you're going to go to in lap two, you've been through it. 
without some kind of cheering from people and just it's all athletes also spectators and just random people kind of popping through so yeah i think a lot of that you know it the physicality of it is hard but i think refueling your spirits whether it's making a dumb joke about the sign saying no swimming before the swim you know there's all these things you kind of like throw out as little teasers and tidbits keep your mind moving um that kind of really make it important because it's not just a physical aspect it's a mental thing you've got to stay engaged and locked in for it so so you guys ended up meeting up then where on that first initial climb yeah but half the, the past the, hill about a starting. third of the way up is the second yeah. hill on the first initial climb about a third of the way up right i remember taking the obstacle specialist um crew we were on our way to find that seven foot wall and we got to that second part of the climb we got like two-thirds up and then we looked up and we saw like all of that really rocky technical section that was just like straight uphill and everybody looked at me they're like we have to run tomorrow i'm like hey i asked if you wanted this seven foot wall you said yes they're like we don't need it this bad (laughs) so we all turned around we like wasted an hour climbing up this that climb up until that one point so i i know what that's like um so you guys managed to get each other up to the top of that first total climb yeah that's some killington peak whatever that is okay so how long did you guys run together then um so i think i took off first when ben started because i knew i'd be lagging behind and then i think at the top we kind of met up again after the seven foot wall and then that stairway to sparta i believe yeah it was like um yeah no you you definitely like black like blasted like blew by me um up the hill and then i think yeah like yeah no i remember like i saw you in the woods somewhere like after yeah no stairway to sparta like i saw you in the woods Mm -hmm. like when we it was like it was like a it was very 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 steep downwards and it was very 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 technical terrain like it was like wet rocks muddy rocks and like I just saw you like from a distance. I'm like, oh, that's Pete, you know. I'm like, let me catch up to him. So I caught up to you, and I'm like, oh, hey, Pete, <laughs> hey again, you know. Um, but yeah, no, like it was, it was, you know, a crazy, crazy battle back. Crazy, crazy battle. Yeah, and for me, like that's the flats and the downhills were what was getting severe for me. That's when the pain was starting to become a consideration for me. Um, I first thing I had had in my head that it was. Two o'clock transition, four o'clock spearman cutoff. Even though I now know that it is five o'clock, so I was looking at the time and thinking. You mean Bender? Oh, it was Bender? Was the five o'clock Bender and then six thirty spearman? Six thirty spear. Four's the headlamp. They didn't have headlamp. headlamp, so I don't know. Yeah, it usually doesn't come up. Unfortunately, they kind of warn you, and then they don't do that. So, I mean, it's going down, and then before I got to the trail and traverse, I actually pulled off the course and. I was noticing my knees were going off and my watch, um, I did a low, the, the battery saving GPS mode. So my mileage was way off, but so I was trying to cut off what I thought was bad mile, you know, not true. It was around the 21, 22 mile mark. Elevation might have been accurate, it was on 9,000. I realized that I had, you know, 10-ish miles to go. I realized I had a swim to go through in the late afternoon, which would re- refreeze my legs and it wouldn't warm up much. And that last mountain, I'm like, I maybe can get past the swim if I really work hard. And I might get to the bottom of that Rams head area. But I thought my likelihood was like 5% of getting to the finish line. 
but my chances of my knees becoming severely aggravated and being swollen and maybe a kneecap popping was like 80%. So I'm looking at my like, is this worth it? Now I'm right now restarting a second degree program. I'm a stay at home dad. I do other things. I'm helping soccer teams. I'm like, yeah, if I do this, I might spend two to three weeks on crutches and I know what I'm facing. I know what I can handle. And is this, am I going to push myself this hard to endanger myself, my family, my livelihood? And I said, there are other races. I've learned a lot from the mountain. I've taken away a lot. I got through transition. I'm kind of pretty proud of that because it seemed like there weren't the many people in my age group that even got out of there. So I'm like, I'm by the festival area. I can hear the music so I can just walk off trail. And also noticing that a lot of people were taken off in medical left and right. I'm like, I'm going to be a burden to someone probably, or I'm going to have to walk down the woods in the dark and maybe scare, you know, it'll be scary. So at that point, I'm like, it's just not worth the risk knowing what I had in front of me. That's actually one of the, the major things I've seen come across with ultras is especially in the Spartan race community mindset where a lot of people don't want to embrace the fact of DNFing because Spartan has kind of the Aru culture of like being as tough as you can. I had DNF Spartan uh, Killington Ultra a couple times and I probably should have done it in 2018 because I suffered moderate dehydration. I've told the story too many times on this podcast to begin with, but okay. um, I wrote a whole article about it and the way, the way I kind of break it down is we all have our own personal goals, like finishing the Killington Ultra and any of the other ultra mm-hmm. races. But what I kind of boil it down to is, is the shiny piece of metal worth it? Where the person, the accomplishment and coming to grips with like coming with a DNF, especially when it's involving physical injury, is usually probably the smarter move. Um, especially be and having the terms to be okay with it, because a lot of people, when I did my hundred miler, uh, one of the guys I ran with for a while, he pulled off when I was actually napping. He pulled off at mile like seventy something, so. He was on the last loop, um, but it was uh, he pulled off because he was worried about dehydration problems. And I think he psyched himself out and he just kind of he didn't come to he wasn't like he was in the right mindset, but he like pulled he might have pulled the trigger a little early on it. You have to like once you know your body and it's like ready to go, it's a uh, it's usually a good idea to, to call it. Like I said, I was marshalling. Um and all the volunteers are given walkie-talkies. To, so if we do need to radio for something, we can. And we hear what's going on. And it got to the point on Saturday. It, it was right around that cutoff, maybe a little after, where Missy came on and said, zone leaders, we are getting too many medical calls. If somebody needs medical Zone leaders, you have to go out and check on them first. If we can just cart them down the mountain, cart them down the mountain, if they can walk, they need to be walking. We cannot be sending medical to every single person. There is too much, or like there are too many calls. We need to have the zone leaders going out and tending to these people first. Because there were so many people that were, like, just cramping, which I I say just, and I know, like, how, you know, debilitating that can be. But if it's, you know, hey, you have a bone sticking out of your leg versus, hey, your calves are seizing up, like, okay, if wait for your calves to stop seizing and walk, 
versus um, no, we need actual medical to come out and get you off this mountain safely and take you to a hospital. I'm surprised was Killington that brutal that they had that many uh, medical calls? A lot, a lot, a lot of cramping. And I mean, like I said, um, I think people just undertrained. I mean, we're coming off of a COVID year where not a lot of people were able to get the same kind of training that they would. I mean, I know at least in the Northeast, our gyms weren't open for a solid six to eight months. Yeah. Yeah. And even still, like we had the gyms shutting down in December again. So, um, not everybody could go in and, you know, get their heavy lifting in. And there are so many people that stubbornly throw a weight vest on and go for a hike instead of learning how to actually run up hills. Yeah. And it's like people aren't training for this appropriately. They're seeing uh, ultra Killington and they sign up. I legitimately had a guy come up to me in the festival area on Friday when I was out for my run. And he was just walking past obstacles. He looks at Helix. He turns to me because I'm in my SGX jacket. He's like, how do you do this one? And he's like carrying his purple penny. I'm like, do people just go onto like that USA racing site and say, I want to run an ultra. Oh, hey, mm-hmm. look, there's an ultra locally at Killington. I'm going to sign up for this. This is a good idea. Yep. Like, is that is that what people are doing? Like, why aren't we looking up what something is actually about? I've, I saw ultras still in road running shoes. How are you not prepared for this? It's, I don't know. I talked to both Pete and Ben about it and said, you have to have two different pairs of shoes for that ultra because you are going to get through lap one and your feet mm-hmm. are going to be hurting. And, you know, you want something with a little extra cushion. You know, putting wet shoes on after you change your socks, it sucks, and you're miserable. And if you're already miserable starting out on lap two, you're only going to get worse. So, like, always have a second pair of shoes. And to see people running in their road running shoes that are beaten to shit, like, no, what are you doing? You signed up for the hardest ultra on earth, uh, for Spartan at least. Like, Mm -hmm. come on. We have to be thinking smarter. That's my favorite thing to do in the starting corral for any race is to just look down and look at everyone's shoes. And I just, the only reason I started laughing myself when you mentioned that, because it, it reminded me, I, I ran the stadium race this past weekend and the amount of people wearing A, trail shoes and B, Spartan craft shoes was astounding. I'm just like, if anyone, if nobody's ever run trail shoes on just pure cement, oh my God, your calves. I'm, I, I know it's totally off topic, but I just remembered that. What did y'all just just general poll? What did y'all do for shoes on this one? Um, so first lap I had Alter Kings, um, and they were around a hundred miles or so into it. Um, mm-hmm. and actually I threw I threw them out at the end of the first lap because they were they were time was done. They had a hole with a stick pick, poking through in the end. Um, and then I had Speedo Ultra Ultras. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry, Oka Speedos. Mm-hmm. Um, for second lap, and those I'm I'm using them more recently. I got them about four months ago, and those have been a very good because i just turned 40 so that cushion but the mm-hmm. even not much of a heel differential have been solid for me okay i mean for me um i i started out the first lap with um the um the, the typical spartan craft shoes um the typical ones that you buy off a store mm-hmm. um but honestly 
like what I did in transition was I, I swapped out I swapped out my socks um, and then I actually put those back on because I actually felt really really good in those you know like I, I ran the first time I'm like those they, they feel really really comfortable like I had a good cushioning good support um, and I don't know like I felt like the buoyancy in my shoes were really 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 good um, mm-hmm. you know I, I thought that until I got to like that second hill but. Like after the first lap, I, I felt I felt that they cushioned me very very well, and especially like in you know the technic in the very very technical terrain, uh, back up in the woods and stuff like that. I felt like they held up very very well. So I, I honestly kind of just I kind of just made a game time decision to stick with them, but I did swap out I did swap out some socks. I understand that feeling of sticking in the shoes because I think I did that for my 2018 when you're just kind of like. Yes, the dry shoes would be comfortable, but you're kind of like set in your way in that shoe already. It's like it's gotten me this far; it can probably carry me the rest of the way. Where you've kind of just settled into your gear at that point. That that happens a good amount of the time. And then the other major question I had is just because I'm interested in it, and they only did one loop. What was their what was the ultra loop like? Um, first off, it was no joke. Um, uh-huh. Missy wasn't playing. Miss Missy wasn't playing around. I'll put uh-huh. it like that. That's the first thing I'll say. The sandbag carry up Bear Mountain was absolutely treacherous. Like, oh boy, it was like I I I can't I cannot tell you how many people were you know were complaining, were you know grunting, were moaning. Like, I, I mean, myself included, I was doing it too. But it was just you know Bear Mountain was was so 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 hard. Um, but the ultra loop was. But I thought for the most part, like, especially, like, through, like, I think, like, the first half, like, it wasn't really all that bad because it was, like, you know, a lot of downhill. And honestly, I feel like I made up a lot of time, actually, mm-hmm. in the ultra loop because a lot of it was downhill. It was pretty technical, but, um, but as I actually, as I said in my YouTube video, like, the fact that, you know, we I've trained in the Blue Hills a lot, Blue Hills is so technical. Like, it's not that steep, but it's so technical. And I feel like right there is where I made up a lot of time. And that's also why I was able to have a really, really good cushion in the first time time cut off um, because of my experience in technical terrain. But um, Oh, if you think the Blue Hills is technical, you should come out to Lemonster, right, Pete? That Lemonster that, oh, that climb. Oh, my gosh. That will break your ankles. Got the gravel and loose frog. Thank God I have a basketball background because I've rolled my ankle like practically every game, <laughs> and I'm and I still, I still am able to keep it. But yeah, no. Like, Knock on wood right now because I had a month there. I had an entire year where every month I rolled both ankles and had significant sprains. You guys remember it? I was like down for the count always. I mean, I was running with Pete once. We got. We weren't even a mile in, and like just roll. And he, he looks at me. He's like, "Yeah, you can't keep going." Yeah, state barracks. Nope. Whoop. Turn it back. State police. We got to turn around and talk a lot. Yeah, that was yeah. Like a quarter mile, three quarters of a mile. And it was like an hour and a half run or something that we needed to do. Oh. That I did without you after we got back at the truck. Yeah. Um, yeah. That ultra loop. It, yeah, it was. It was reasonable terrain. It, like Ben was saying, like it was after that two mile ascent. So there was a lot of downhill in there. Sandbag was difficult. The obstacles, other obstacles were pretty mild. It's a little like tube thing went through. There was the Irish table that was really one two by four length. So it wasn't really an Irish table. And then the drag was pretty simple. It was a flat ground one with, with dirt that moved pretty well. It wasn't that muddy or anything. But um, I mean, it had a good distance for us. And also 
what was interesting is we we started to um when we rejoined the course with the beasts we started the beast started the elite beast started you know catching up to us at times so we kind of got some camaraderie and some challenge with them so it was you know it was a different experience i'm glad it's only a one now that it seems the current format's gonna be one ultra loop but i'm saying things i should knock on wood because i'm sure missy's gonna hear and play games in 2022 so yeah it was good but the overall course was really demanding and i mean we we're forgetting that it was beautiful conditions yeah. it was cool in the morning it did not rain it did not mist or hail like it did in 2019 so the fact that the rate's low but if there was like really terrible weather like vermont can have in september where it can be winter i mean we might have had like a single you know like teens or a single digit finisher rate if it was one of those misty cold nights so that's something we you know we hope to be ready for but if vermont turns into being a monster you know some people might have zero chance of finishing just because the ver monster <laughs> oh but no like i mean the it, the dnf rate was so high this year imagine what it would have been like had we had 2019 weather videos on you know on 2019 like it looked you know muggy you know rainy you know and mm -hmm. honestly like i can't i can't say i'm great grateful enough you know that it was like 60 degrees no humidity you know slight breeze every yeah. here and there but not too much like weather conditions honestly i will say with the exception of you know the more like the early morning when we started i mean i started at 6 30 i know pete started at 6 15 like with the exception of that weather conditions honestly were perfect and you know like and i'm eternally grateful for that like i i will say like probably wouldn't have finished if, if the if, if it was even like a little bit of like rain drizzle spot showers like if there was any literally everything had to go right like for me to for me to finish like and if that if the weather the weather wasn't wasn't what it was. I I don't know. I really yeah. don't know. Y'all got lucky. I've never really? had good weather at Killington. I've been to Killington 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. Never once good weather. <laughs> like I think probably the Founders race was okay, but I also just had a shit race that day anyways. I've always just had humidity there. The first trip out to Killington, you'll never have a good experience. It's always going to punch you in the face. And leave you at calling for your mom. Why, why have I somehow had five first trips in? Because I've never had a good race. <laughs> the, you have uh, to go back then. You have to go back. This isn't lost. I'm bring the bad weather with him. We don't want him there now. <laughs> oh, touche. No, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> the uh, I, it's like. For for me, who's done it three times, the uh, actually wait, they didn't do it. They didn't do an ultra loop in. They didn't do the ultra loops in twenty sixteen and seventeen. They brought them nope. back in twenty eighteen. Yeah, we did Bear Mountain twice in twenty eighteen. Back in my day, we did Bear Mountain twice. Um, and yeah, I'm surprised. Like the uh, that was a killer. That's where we had our hands and knees climb. So that's why I was interested. Did they put a uh, did they put a water station on y'all's ultra loop. Yes. Um, yeah, there, yeah. I think yeah. there were like I think there were two by the plate drag in the middle. They uh, and at the end of the loop, the beast had one that we joined up by the seven foot wall. So yeah. there was two, basically middle and the end of the loop. Yeah, that's what happened to us in 2018. They were like, "Oh yeah, we're supposed to put a wire station down here." Keyword was supposed to. So <laughs> we didn't have one both loops on that. Um, but yeah, that's um, 
They probably, I could see, so what was our DNF, what was our finisher rate on this? Do we have a number? Anyone know? I think I, it's all over Facebook. Pete, you got that? Well, I'm, I was just actually doing it a minute ago. I was just playing with the spreadsheet. Oh. Um, I mean, there, we have 405 starters and total, we have 129 finishers and 276, according to what I was pulling off Chrono Track for finisher rate. Okay, mm -hmm. 129. Thrilling of watching someone do math on a podcast. Yeah, thirty-one point eight percent. So thirty-two-ish percent. If yeah. Chrono Track is flames is fully accurate, but that's and this is in beautiful weather. They're gonna yeah. They're gonna pull that ultra loop back next year. Probably they're probably gonna throw it back on twice. Yeah, I think last year was like what twenty-seven, like because of the weather or twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen wasn't was I don't remember. I know it wasn't actually it was a thirty-four good year. something. It might oh, have been a little yeah. higher finisher yeah. rate. They had a lot of. Uh, they also found a thousand foot more elevation from 2018. It was almost the same course 28 to 2019, but they found more elevation somehow on Bear Mountain. Um, I remember that because my buddy went back to back years um, and DNF'd back to back years, sadly. So, Ben, you were there when Pete pulled himself, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. What was going through your head when you saw him? go down and how were you able to continue on from there because we did talk about you know if you're running with somebody you have to make that decision of do you stick with them or do you go keep going what was going through your mind and what kept you going i mean honestly like like Pete, like, you know, and Pete and I were talking, you know, throughout, um, but Pete told me, he was just like, I'm, I'm going to pull out because um, my knees are really, really killing me and I don't want to risk injury as, as he mentioned earlier. Um, so he informed me of his decision and, you know, like, I was literally like, are you, are you sure, man? Like we, like, there is a chance we can, you know, we can, we can finish mm -hmm. this. And, you know, I, I, I asked him, I did press him, but you know, he, was set on his decision um and you know and and i and i literally told him like you know it's it's your decision man and you know i'll you know i'll i'll you know i'll support whatever decision you make you know but honestly like at that point in my head you know there was a gear that turned like at that point i was just like well now now that pizza like i have to finish this race for him you know i can't like literally, like my mentality at that point was, I need to finish this race for him. You know, it's it's not just about me at, at this point. It's you know for him, you know, because like I didn't want his effort of you know because Pete Pete even stopped like when he saw me on the mountain, he even stopped for a second. You know, so that's time that he you know he spent with me that you know could have gone to him make trying to make a cutoff. You know, so for me, honestly, I was just like, I can't let Pete's time go in vain. So now I have to finish this race for not just for me, but for him as well. So that's honestly when a when a gear switch and literally like the flick of a switch, I was like, I just tunneled at that point. And I was just like, this this race needs to be finished. You know, like my whole mindset just shifted. I will admit, I've never really like had a moment like that. Like I feel like honestly that like. Like similar to when Pete met me on the mountain, I think that was the second defining moment of the race. You know, was was when he pulled out because, you know, honestly, like at that point, I just was like, no, like this is getting done now. Like you know, it, like I will not, I will, I'll make sure that Pete's efforts were not in vain. You know, so 
So, Pete, now that you have DNF Killington, what is your plan? How are you changing your mindset and what lessons did you learn coming off of this? Yeah, so <clears throat> I'm at a bunch of classes the past few days, so it's been really hard to process much and all that. The the main issues I'm looking at is dealing with inflammation in my legs, how my knees handle things, whether it's through different training, through different medications, things like that, preparation for that. Um, to a degree, something to deal with the cold. So I, I, I don't think I mentioned that I'm going to run the New Jersey Ultra in th less than three weeks now. So I still have an Ultra on the calendar. So I'm you know, pacing down for that, getting ready for that. So also cold weather, Ultra dealing with the water again. Um, and, you know, maybe a little gear tweaks, maybe shoes with a more continuous cushion. Um, and probably just in something I have also of a martial arts background and my sensei always tells me, don't break your 90 degree right angle arm. When you do, I can throw you. When you don't, I can't throw you. And I was some of my locks, I was I was good on the rings, the ropes, but I would, I would make my arm a little too loose for a half second and then I would lose that grip. So it's hard because I'm, I'm going back to the gym now, my gym, daycare reopen so I can go there with my son. But yeah, there's a lot of things I need to do in person to train with that I've done exercise with and pull apart home, but I really need to get back on rigs and playgrounds and TRX rigs at the gym and kind of really get myself in that practice of using my body weight and supporting and moving it. And then probably I'll, I don't think I'm going to killing to next year. I'm, we're looking at maybe going to Scotland family trip because we did Hawaii's family okay. trip and Scotland's amazing. My wife actually is part Scottish mostly English because everyone seems to be English, North Europe, like myself. Unfortunately, French, Irish, Polish, but also English because that's what happens. So going to do that. And then maybe then because it's close to Killington, maybe re-gear and then 2023, I guess, aim for Killington Ultra. It's a current tentative plan. Hey, that's when I want to run that Killington Ultra, mostly because OCRWC is going to be back at Stratton next year. And um, yeah, that Rammstein concert the day before Killington. I got to I have my priorities. Um, no. But no, as your coach, I, when I heard you pulled out and why you pulled out, um, and you told me that it was your knee, I knew exactly what we weren't able to do and what was neglected mm. to make sure that we were strengthening specifically. And it, I mean... It's part my fault, but I did everything we could with what we were given. Um, so Pete started training with me as a client in the spring. And um, he started with just this little pulley-esque piece of equipment because he bought a house. Um, and he just couldn't afford a lot of equipment. So I gave him a sandbag for him to fill. Um, how much weight would you say is in that sandbag now? With both sleeves, 55 to 60, I'd say. Okay. Um, and once once he had the sandbag, we were able to do a lot more of loaded weight. Um, mm -hmm. Then he bought a pull-up bar, and we were able to get, you know, our hanging stuff. We were able to get our loaded, all of our loaded movements. It, if you guys know me, you know how much I love deadlifts. Deadlifts are the biggest help for climbing mountains, and we were not able to load Pete's deadlifts anywhere near what I would like us to. Um, and I take responsibility on that as well. 
Um, maybe we could have added some bands to give us some extra resistance. Mm -hmm. And we were working with very limited equipment. So now that he's going back to the gym, we can really start loading his deadlifts a hell of a lot more. We can get a lot of that injury prevention stuff, um, training him barefoot and in his racing shoes. We really want to build up his posterior chain because those glutes are what fatigued, causing your knee pain. And especially with you talking about going downhill, that is all that quad control stuff. If your glutes aren't firing while your quads are working, your quads are just taking over everything and it's putting too much pressure on your knees. Yeah, I mean, because like upper climbs, everyone's legs are tired, as Ben would <laughs> really admit. I mean, we all feel, but it, there wasn't a terrible pain, feel like tearing muscles or anything like that. It really was. I was, I mean, in, even today, I was, you know, running up the stairs for class. It was no problem, a floor flights of stairs. But yeah, it's, it was a different area that the training was good. But yeah, that medical aspect of the knees kind of really came down to the point where I just didn't want to risk the injury on down the course. So then, Ben, what is next for you? You talked a little bit about wanting to jump in age group. What lessons have you taken away from your first Killington Ultra and really your first Ultra experience? And as a newcomer in the sport, what what was most eye-opening about this entire Killington Ultra experience? I'd say, like, I mean... Honestly, like the distance is certainly, you know, the first thing that jumps to my mind, you know, I've, again, like honestly, Spartan running Spartan races is, I, I feel like honestly unlocked a different type of athleticism in me. Like I've, I'm by nature, not a long distance guy. I'm a sprint guy, you know, like I didn't run like before I ran the Montana beast, I hadn't run more than five miles in my life. Like in one, in like in one sitting, um, you know. So I feel like this sport is really like pushing my athletic capability, you know, in a different way that I that honestly I would I never even saw coming, you know. So I'm I'm just very very you know grateful that that it is doing that. Um, but in terms of what what's going on next for me, like I got I have a OCR Worlds coming up in about a week and a half. I'm going to be running in. Um, age group for the 15k event um i'm gonna be doing that and then i have just uh the fenway stadium coming up in november you know i mean because i've all my races have been on the road like every single spartan race i've had i've been traveling on the road like this is in my backyard so i have to go to that you know so you know it'll just be a good uh event but in terms of killington like i will i will be competing in age group in that um future because like i want i definitely want to um have you know have more fame attached to you know my finish versus like in the open um and, and also i just you know i i have i have goals of trying to you know potentially make elite one day you know so it's like the only way to do that is to go through age group so i have to you know definitely get get to that point um in terms of my training i definitely need to need to deadlift i i will full-on confess i did not deadlift at all um, I did different exercises, but I did not deadlift. I need to deadlift. Um, I definitely need more elevation. My, I feel like overall my trail running was, it wasn't great. It was, I'd say it was decent, but it definitely could be better. And I, but I will say I definitely need greater elevation gain. Um, 
the blue hill running the blue hills multiple times and running those hills multiple times like that that's just not going that's just not going to cut it you know especially in the future so i definitely will need greater elevation um and I, I definitely need to work on my um, hamstrings, you know, more. Um, I feel like my quads and my calves are pretty good. It's really my hamstrings, I feel like, that in glutes that need work. Those are those deadlifts. Yeah, about that. Yeah. <laughs> and say- both of these guys can attest, like, I deadlift the shit out of them. They have eccentric <laughs> hamstring curls. They have more hamstring work than anything else. Like, they're lucky if they ever have to actually squat. Wait a minute. I have squats every program. What are you talking about? (laughs) Mostly front, though. So Yeah, you never back squat. Nope. (laughs) And you're one of the few that have three lifting days a week. Yeah. Uh, Honestly, and I even said this in my YouTube video, like, I trained as hard. Like, I literally gave it my all, like, with the training, even before this race. Like, you know... I literally treated this as a full-time job. Like literally, like I sac I made a lot of sacrifices to train for the Killington Ultra. Um and I again I had never trained this hard in my life. Like for college basketball, for anything athletic I've done in my life, never ever trained this hard for this long, you know. And I literally tried to jam, you know, a lot of training into two months. And I, I feel like honestly I did the best I could. You know with what i had like i feel like i maximized everything you know and, and i even you know I, like pete knows like i even made like me- a lot of last minute like i spent i probably spent like at least like 300 dollars on like equipment probably like two weeks before killington like i literally went out and bought a rec bag started carrying that multiple days mm. a week like you know like i you know i literally went all out and i literally i literally laid out for for this training um but like i said in my video i don't feel like i trained enough like i i don't i don't feel like it was enough i feel i feel like it was just enough to get me by but it won't be enough in the future so i i definitely have to pick it up 100 percent. well guys do you have any final words any final lessons or takeaways from your ultra experience i just say a setback's only problem if you let it be one you know i'm moving past it you know, this frustration in the minute of and stuff, but uh, it worked out okay. It's, I felt a lot of camaraderie people, even people that didn't finish, kind of were proud of each other, and we, you know, we gave it our best shot that day, and we come back, and we can always do it again on time. I'd, I'd just say just persevere and just, you know, remain, like, even even when things, you know, get dark and they get tough and and you're then you know you have you have to overcome adversity just just be persistent persevere and you know just keep going you know and again like you know when you put in effort and you and you work hard and you know especially like all, like in your race and you just try to just fight through it you know sometimes you you, you know you really do get lucky and, and just stuff goes your way and stuff happens you know like good things happen you know when you put yourself in, in a position you know so I honestly just say, just keep grinding and just keep moving forward and keep plugging and keep trucking. Awesome. Well, congratulations, guys. DNF or finisher, either way, it is a huge accomplishment. Hold your head high. Be proud of what you did. And then go back and completely crush Killington again. All right. So I have brought in a special guest, a friend of mine from, I guess it would be Racing's Past. 
I don't think I've told you this, but this is the person I credit was kind of pushing me into the ultra world uh, at this point, because I had always talked about running Infinitus 100. And then eventually at one day I was just like, hey, I'm signed up for it in 2019 at this point, because I'd seen you run it. So I wanted to introduce uh, my friend, Savannah. Say hi. Hello. Thanks for having me on the show. Just a quick background of yourself. Um, we know each other from mainly early OCR years, probably Instagram, uh, tracing back when you were still doing OCRs and then made the transition to Ultra. So like, you could probably just give us a quick, just a quick background in yourself into the sport that uh, when you were running. Yeah, for sure. So um, man, I'm like thinking back and I'm like, how long has it been? <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I really uh, dove into the OCR world um, just as a way to lose weight and meet friends. And there were a lot of races popping up in Florida, um, which is where I'm from. So just having a lot of races local to Tampa, I started just jumping in and having fun with some of my friends. And then eventually it got to the point of, I think that I can like actually race this now. Like I've, I'm learning so much about how to overcome these physical barriers and obstacles in front of me. And now I feel that I can start competing. So I started competing um, and you know, not at this crazy elite level, just at the level of, okay, I can run in the first wave and I'll do the best that I can. And through that, it led to some wins um, as far as, you know, age group goes and maybe a couple of overall ones. But um, as time went on and the friends that I was racing with, they started kind of falling out of it and I was looking for a new challenge and I had met um, some some new friends who were into the ultra running world and I happened to run a half marathon. I was dating someone at the time and um, they encouraged me to run a half marathon and when I did pretty decent at the half marathon they were like, okay, well, if you can do 13.1 miles, then you could do a 50K. And I was like, whoa, like, what does that mean? And um, so it turns out the 50K is like 30 miles. And I ended up signing up for one and raced in that, I think, three months after a half marathon. So to this day, I still have not run a marathon. I have done countless half marathons and countless ultra marathons, but I've never done a race that is actually 26.2 miles. I'm like actually terrified of it because I feel like you actually have to be like really good at running to do a full marathon. Um, just because of the different time limits and a lot of them are road marathons and my favorite have always been trails so um, that world is a little bit different for me but yeah so I just 
kept going with the ultra running world. And um, after a couple of years of having some successful ultras, I decided that I needed to attempt a 100 mile race. And a the one that came to mind was the Endurance Society's Infinitus. And that is a whole different monster. <laughs> it wasn't just, it. not that any 100 miler is easy, but it definitely wasn't going to be the easiest one out there, especially for a first one. Uh, I agree. Because <laughs> it was my, <laughs> my first one. <laughs> and you finished it, though. I did. I remember what you told me. I think you told me, I think you called me a jerk or an asshole. You're like, you finished on your first try. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was upset. <laughs> <laughs> and you looked like you were having such a great time. Just, you know, cruising, feeling great. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm suffering. <laughs> I took, I took a nap. I took like an hour nap and then I had that was a bad idea. So, but it gave me yeah. the boost. Yeah. Gave you the little extra energy to just knock it out. But yeah, Infinitus is kind of like that's where I really like. I think I knew a couple other people who tried. I had some friends in the area who tried to run that race. Um, if anyone listening isn't familiar, Infinitus is, is uh, like, like Savannah said, it's the Endurance Society's uh, 100 miler, 250 miler. 250k the 888k the most uh, infamous one which is 550 miles i think something like that um but it's endurance society is run by andy weinberg weinberg and he is the other half of uh the joe decena the uh founders of spartan race early on um and if anyone hasn't met Andy, he's actually really great. I've only met him once from the race, and he's still probably one of my favorite <laughs> race directors because that man remembers everybody. Um, he does. He's amazing. He's so good. It's uh, but Infinitus has run forty-eight hours, uh, a seven and a half mile loop, and a nineteen-mile loop, and you just kind of go back and forth between those two loops for however long it takes you to finish. Um, and it is just, it's all vert. <laughs> it's all vert and it's all in the woods. It's so much vert and um, a lot of really good energy, but also a lot of climbing and mosquitoes and roots that, look like they're moving once you get to a certain point of hallucinating and uh the the worst part about it is when you get to mile 81 and you realize that you have to do the 19 mile loop again back to back that's like what really really is a downer once you get to oh, that yeah. point yeah, that 19 mile loop is so it's so lonely. It's because it's there's only one aid station out there and it's like it's a good chunk of the distance in. And then also add on top of it, if you're doing it in the dark, it just looks all the same. 
<laughs> it's you have no idea if you're making progress or not. Everything is miserable. You're probably walking in the same circle, like don't even know what's going on. And then you pop out at the dam and you're like, okay, now I'm only a couple of miles until I'm back to uh, Blueberry Hill. And then you're like, okay, like maybe this isn't so bad. And then you accidentally take a nap and then you wake up and regret it. <laughs> you, wait, you took a nap at the dam? I I took a nap right before the dam in in I think that it was in my crew's car because um, I was just so miserable and I like didn't want to believe that the dam was essentially right around the corner. I just saw no hope and decided I needed a nap, but then regretted it because movement after sitting down too long is not ideal oh yeah um also it's because that course leading up to the dam it's like from that aid station onto the dam it's only like six miles or something like that but it is so long (laughs) because it never it's just in one direction it kind of curves back and forth but it just goes in that one direction the whole goddamn time and so you just never know like are we there yet is this thing done no oh i've only gone half a mile um (laughs) oh i have to keep going up (laughs) just keep climbing yeah so infinite like we could probably go on for that course like that can have its own if if anyone's interested in doing a hundred miler uh, and I'm really having a good time, I, I recommend Infinitus or even just dipping your toe in because they do stuff under a hundred during the whole Infinitus event. But um, so Infinitus is where it started for you on your hundred miler journey. Yeah, that's that's where it started and <laughs> took a few years to finish too. Yeah, yeah. How did that? So tell us how the first attempt went. So the first attempt. I was very out of shape and very overweight. And I showed up with my sister and um, I showed up with like a Walmart $15 tent and did not realize that when people tried to warn me of the mosquitoes, I didn't realize that that was actually a thing. And it was miserable. It was absolutely miserable. And I was still having a good time just from meeting other people in the area. And it was my first time traveling out of state for a race, especially into like a mountainous state. And I was super overwhelmed with how beautiful it was there and how different the course was because being from Florida, not ever having any type of mountain running experience, I didn't really know what I was doing. So like I was using my poles for the first time and I had never had to run with those before. So you end up getting really sore with your shoulders and triceps, especially if it's not something that you're practicing. So 
I was starting to feel, you know, different muscle aches and pains that I wouldn't have normally had. And then on top of that, um, early on in the race, I fell uh, in a water crossing and ended up hurting my knee pretty bad. And for some reason, I felt like it would be a good idea to keep pushing through this and ended up making it 54 miles, which was a win, but also a huge, huge loss for me. I was so devastated just because I felt like people didn't believe that I could do 100 miles. And then it almost felt like, okay, their beliefs of me are now my reality. Like I was very insecure about it. I was just devastated not being able to finish that. And it made the rest of my trip in Vermont really, really difficult. Um, But as soon as I got on the flight to leave Vermont, I was like, okay, I need to go back next year. And so I let my knee heal up and I was like, all right, I'm going to go. I'm going to do this again next year. So then I did. (laughs) Yeah. So you took that first DNF and just was like, you know what? This isn't that bad. This was a complete win. Uh, And now you know exactly where to build off of, like, which is kind of the kind of what we've been trying to pitch to people is like, never be ashamed of a DNF because what a DNF actually means is you gave literally everything you possibly had and this time it wasn't enough, but you know exactly how much more you need to to work on. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, at first it was like, man, this is, it was my first DNF ever. So having that experience was, it was almost like I was grieving. So I was mad and then I was sad and just went through so many different emotions with that. But just you know, 48 hours after the race, I'm like, okay, so how's this knee going to shake out? Where do I need to start now? And decided, okay, between now and next year, what can I be doing? What do I need to work on? And just started looking for other opportunities to just get better, faster, stronger. And and I did end up signing up for a few other 100-mile races within that year. So between the two first two infinitus attempts, and I could not get a finish with those 100-mile races. And those were on flat Florida trail. So I was like, okay, if I can't do this right now, then I I really need to ramp up this training. I need to dial in nutrition. Something has to change. And I wasn't willing to quit yet. Um, And there were just so many different circumstances. And I just had to keep viewing them all as, okay, we'll take that as a training run. We will take this as a practice. And then I started actually writing um, or documenting like a running journal from that point because I was like, I'm doing these miles, but 
I need to be honest with myself and I need to be able to put on there how the run made me feel, what I was eating, and then how much water I'm drinking. I needed to really put it on paper and see like, this is what my pace was. This is what my mileage was. And I actually ended up referencing a couple of different um, articles online, just learning about different styles of training in order to finish a hundred mile race. So um, with that, I just kept going. And and, um, the next year, so that was, you know, finish or didn't finish the first year, made it 54 miles. The second year I made it 81 miles and that's like devastating to get to that 81 mile point and know that you still have another 19 mile loop is when you know how bad that loop is and you're you're just like staring at it and I only had a few hours to work with and I I ended up I think that I ended up talking with Andy the race director and I just decided right there I'm like I'm not going to be able to do that loop in the amount of time that I have left. Like it wasn't, it wasn't going to be fair to the race organizers for me to go ahead and start that loop and then one, keep them there or end up putting myself in a situation where I just have to turn around. And now everyone has just like waited on me because I was the only one who was like still potentially going to stay in it. Um, and yeah, for that year. And so, um, as far as for the hundred mile part of it, um, and so things end up coming to an end all on the same day. So like the hundred mile race ends on the same day as the 888 K. So it was like, okay, they've already lived here for like two weeks. Um, And so I ended up uh, just going ahead and DNSing that one. And that was also really hard. I literally walked back to my car and sat down in it and just cried and fell asleep and just slept there all night and woke up to my car being dead. So that was Oh God! Really depressing to like throw that on top of it. It it was really really hard. And I had driven all the way from Kentucky, where I was going to grad school, drove all the way from Kentucky to Vermont, and then had to make the drive back, and my car was dead. So that was a really big bummer. After um, you know nothing nothing like having two additional problems after DNFing, um, a race that had started to mean a lot more to me than just, okay, this is a race. I want to finish it because I didn't reach my goal. It turned into a race of, I need to do this to prove it to myself. This is the first one that I signed up for. It's the race that I love in the place that I love. And it became so much more from that point and Mm. I'm right there with you 
on uh that's what happened with me in Killington. Like I got to the point where I failed Killington twice and I was in the condition and I was like I was in the condition to be able to do it. But it was one of those things where it's like, all right, I'm not doing this for the buckle. I'm not doing this to check this off the list. It's if I don't finish this like a third, if I never get this, I'm never going to get this monkey off my back. Like it's just going to be there. And I have to like do this for myself, not for any recognition anymore. I just have to know it's done. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And it, it feels like it's just always on your mind or you think about it when you're training and you're like, okay, this is what I want to work on and constantly thinking about it and wanting to reach that goal it it's really really strange and I haven't um had any other races like that sure I've DNF'd other races but I've never had the draw of like okay this is very difficult but I want to go back and I want to actually get it done this time but um yeah so after that I uh took actually the the following year off so I did two years in a row took the following year off and I had just started a new job in Tennessee and just didn't feel like I could go out and do that that year so what I did instead was continue training and got better faster and did some local races and actually ended up finishing my first 100 mile race at a local course in Tennessee with the help of some of my friends. They came out and crewed me and we had a great time. I had only known these people for like two or three months and for some odd reason they were willing to come out and help me. So I, they're like, what is this like crazy ultra running thing you talk about? And you're weird, but cool enough for us to hang out with. So they just like showed up and started feeding me Twizzlers and chips. So (laughs) I ended up uh, actually finishing a hundred miles, which was super exciting. And I was so proud of just like putting myself out there, not knowing really anyone in the state of Tennessee had no idea what this race was about. It was a gravel, like a chunky gravel loop that was like maybe a mile long or just over a mile and then running that just in circles, (laughs) which was absolutely wild. I remember you pitching that to me. I was like, oh God, a mile? Like I can't. I, I don't know if I could handle that a hundred times or like however the math pans out. Cause I think at one point I would just start like watching stuff on like an iPad or something during the loops and just <laughs> because it'd be the same thing over and over again. But like finishing that, that is a, to me, I feel like a one mile loop to get to, or so to get to a hundred miles, boy, that's the mental strength right there. It really was like, there is, when you run a race on a course like that, you end up seeing all of the same people all throughout the day and night, which could be really cool if they're really cool people. But when you have to hear some of the weird 
stories and personalities and things like that where you're like oh my gosh I just heard you talking about this story like 30 minutes ago it like (laughs) there were just some points where I'm like I've got to get away from people and you can't you're never away from people because you could see everyone at all times which is great as far as like directing a race goes like that's great but um the entire course was out in the sun too oh god so that was painful in august oh yeah yeah. that's 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 a rough setup it was brutal it was so brutal um but that race was i think really all it took to get me the confidence i needed to be like okay i survived that now let's go get infinitus and one of the girls um my main crew person was um my friend ariel and she was literally like you have to do infinitus and there's no question i'm coming with you and i'm gonna be your crew chief and we're gonna get this done so we pretty much immediately started planning for May of the following year. And then somehow, I don't know how you were recruited into this or if you were just like, yeah, I want to do this. Um, I had done, because um, I remember I'd seen you do a couple of them. I remember your second attempt for Infinitus, um, attempting that. And I was getting updates on when you were doing that one because I knew it was your second attempt. At that point, I had done like two Ragnars and also two uh, 24-hour uh, OCRs at that point. And then I was just, I had, what, 2018? Did I finish Killington at that point? When did I? Yeah, 2019 is when we did the 100-miler. Yeah, I have a bad, Killington really messed up my memory. I've told that story enough times. Um, but I had. I seriously I think feel yeah. like everything has mm-hmm. mushed together. Like it's oh, all yeah. one giant year. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I think, yeah, I had done the killing. And I was just kind of like, I was ready to take on a bigger challenge. And I kind of already was flirting with the idea of doing a hundred miler. And I was like, you know what, if I'm going to go for this, I had had, you had been there twice already. I had a couple friends who had gone up there and attempted the hundred miler and they have all come back empty handed. And I was like, I'm going to be the first, <laughs> I'm going I, I to be the first motherfucker in this group of friends who's coming back with the buckle. Um, <laughs> And <laughs> that's what I like I'm set upset. my face on. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I'm coming up. I'm just going to do the face. Like, um, and I, I trained for, I trained a lot of incline for Killington. And I was really just kind of keeping myself balanced. But like the way I trained for Infinitus, my co-host Megan would like very disagree with my, my methods because now she is my coach. Um, but I, ran a lot i didn't do a lot of like my weightlifting prep and i just like put myself in a condition to be able to mentally take the beating of uh of a uh, uh, infinitus so that's kind of how i got roped in and then i just got lucky because your crew had a lot of extra space so <laughs> that saved me when i got there <laughs> we had our own full-on campsite basically and it was named Camp Wagon Wheel. So there are pictures to prove this. And we had like fancy chairs, a fancy pop-up tent, bug nets, 
it i mean it's it was definitely like a uh palace oh yeah <laughs> compared to a lot of the other setups that was i think that was the best one because we had no bug issues the whole time no no yeah so good. we were very prepared <laughs> y'all were yes but um so with the third attempt you spent time uh you spent time all this time training and got the you got the hundred miler win now under your buckle under your belt so like what was your prep coming into this one because now that you do have a hundred miler finish uh, i can imagine and now you are specifically training for it you have a crew to crew behind you who's going to do it like what was like was there did you ever have any doubt like this might not happen or was there just like nope this is happening no matter what like i'm getting it this time that's a really good question because i would say that as soon as i decided that i was going to go back to there was never a question whether or not i was going to go back to infinitus the question was when am i going to go and am i going to be prepared enough and in my mind i felt so confident that i was going to finish that year and there wasn't a point in my mind where i felt like i wasn't going to finish it until i got to the point where i only had three miles left and was having a mental breakdown saying that i could not do it with three miles left and my crew gosh ariel and danny they probably wanted to just punch me in the face at that point because I was just sobbing and refusing to move. Danny is trying to shove Oreos in my face because she says I need to eat. Ariel is trying to make me drink water and take Advil. I was just an absolute wreck, just yelling at them, saying that I hated them. Like I was definitely sleep deprived. My entire body hurt and I didn't think I could do it. 97 miles in so the entire time though I felt like I was with it and then suddenly I hit mile 90 and things start rapidly declining um and then get to 97 and tried to get my life back together but um just as far as training and leading up to that I think that the reason why I started to feel well, part of the reason why I started to feel more confident was because now I was living in a state where there was mountainous terrain and I began building confidence and making friends with people who had similar interests as me. And I just started hiking. I honestly did so much hiking, trying to get inclined. Um, and really just shooting for elevation goals. I was doing probably only 100 miles a month. Yeah, like 100 miles a month. And that was really what my training was. I did a, quite a bit of strength training as well. But I mean, I want to say that probably half of my mileage was spent on hiking and just hiking with friends and bringing my pack and bringing my poles and just practicing and getting comfortable and confident with my gear 
getting comfortable and confident with my nutrition. At that point, I was shifting from vegetarianism to veganism. And so with that shift, I was like, okay, what's going to work for my stomach? What's going to be okay for me? What is going to be really good fuel to make this third infinitus attempt successful? And I really just experimented and did a lot of like mental pep talks to myself of just trying to be trying to be my own hype girl to get myself into the mindset of okay this is really going to suck I have been in this space before and it's okay to be in this space of everything sucks everything hurts I'm dying but it's okay because all I have to do is keep moving forward doesn't matter how awful it is just like keep going and you eventually come around. It does help to have really good people there with you. So having Ariel and Danny, knowing that every few miles or every checkpoint, I'd see one of the two of them. But then also knowing that you're running the race and knowing you're only a few miles ahead of me. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, at at some point we'll end up reaching and being in the same spot as each other. So it was almost like, okay, well, I can keep going. Charles is still going. I can do this. Like, let's, let's keep moving forward. It helped knowing that I had friends on the course, whether they were there crewing for me or they were there racing their own race. So that was super, that was super cool. Yeah. That was uh, the one thing. I uh, every time I came in and I saw one of your people, I think my first question was always like, "How's she doing? What's she doing?" Because at this point, I'm invested in like your finishing, and you would think like we're doing 100 miles at some point, our paths probably would cross on um, the racing. And I think the only times we actually did was maybe in pit, and it was very much like when you were just coming in and I was just about to go out. Like yep, that's about every it. single time, literally every time, I'd be just like barely crawling in and you're like all right i'm going feel great bye. i'm going out now yeah <laughs> keep going um yeah the uh so um we tear through 40 some like 40 hours of racing 40 uh and you get you got to 97 miles you had the breakdown and then i think in my memory i'm uh with it, I'm literally sitting because I finished at like two in the morning. I got it like I think I got like two or three hours of sleep, um, and then I woke back up and I just kind of sat and waited at the finish line at that point because I was like, at some point she's gonna make it. Um, she's gonna show up at some point, and then like we got to like two hours left, and then an hour left, and I'm like, uh, I I don't know if one of your picker people had made it there or not. I think, um. And I, I, one of them had gotten there. I was like, is she going to make it? She's like, I hope so. <laughs> She's not far. Um, so you had three miles left, which is, I think like within our three miles, we probably have like one final small incline and then it's downhill to the, to Blueberry Hill um, at that point. Yeah. So like what, what got you, what, what got you up onto the, uh, finally get those final three miles out? 
It was something that Ariel and Danny had said. I just kept arguing with them um, and just saying, nope, I'm going to do this next year. And Ariel was like, absolutely not. Like, we are not coming back next year. To <laughs> If you're not going to finish this now, then you're not going to. Like, we're not planning next year. You you have to finish this now. Um, and I started out, for whatever reason, they convinced me to keep going and Danny was coming with me. And so I am trailing behind Danny and I am so mad at her. I'm like grunting, I'm cursing. I am just furious that she is walking in front of me uphill, just going about. She's totally cool, calm, collected, and I'm just in a rage. So at that point, I'm like, all right, well, she's going to keep walking, but I really need to pee. So I barely scoot myself off of the edge of the trail. And squat down to pee and I'm so tired and out of it that I didn't realize that I was squatting in a bush of stinging nettles. Oh God. <laughs> so my butt is on fire <laughs> after after just having to pee I'm furious at Danny and Ariel for making me continue and I just start booking it up the mountain behind Danny and she turns around and she's like oh man she's like moving now so Danny ends up handing me off um, I think she hands me off to Ariel and Ariel's going to bring me in for the last section. And Ariel was like, you have to run. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, you are not going to finish this unless you start running. And I was like, okay, but like, how far do I have to go? And she's like, I don't know. It's like a mile or two, but you have to, you have to move right now. And I feel like I, everything after that was just this massive blur of like, I, I suddenly had this feeling of, I have to do this. This is like life or death now. I only have however many minutes I had left. She just kept yelling at me. You have this time left. You have this far to go. You have to keep this pace up else you're never going to do this. And it turned into almost like an adrenaline rush where I'm like, okay, it's, it's time to move. It was almost an out of body experience. And I started running, like was doing a 12 minute mile pace after suffering for 20 plus miles of just trudging through Vermont wilderness and just started sobbing as soon as I made it to the finish line because somehow I came out of the darkness <laughs> and over the finish yeah. line. Yeah. <laughs> you, I think in time you had like, I think it was like 18 minutes left of the, of the clock of like the full 48 hours. And it was one of those things. There was only like two, one or two other racers behind you at that point, like in the, in terms of like trying to finish. And I was like, 
all of it, like once I thought, I was like, oh my God, thank God. <laughs> At that point, I'm just sitting there watching my watch. Like, is she going to get this? Like, is she going to actually like make it to that point? Um, I, I had no, I had no concept of anything. I was just like, what just happened? I swear I was just like blacked out the entire time. <laughs> You had a much more like glorious finish than I did because you got to at least finish like where there's people there. I finished at, I think like two in the morning. Two a.m. when everyone's like, like, out on the two, Like there's two people, two people awake like in the pit, and I was like, I walked in and they're like, "How are you doing?" I was like, "I'm done." <laughs> like awesome. And they're like, "Oh shit." <laughs> they're like, "Cool, yeah." But yeah, you finally got that finish in. You had a incredible crew like i have uh i have had i've never actually been i've alan my buddy alan has crewed for me once but it was very minimal i don't require a lot of assistance and i also it was my dna it was my other 100 miler tnf but like being the amount of support from my view that you had for that race with your crew and you had letters from from other friends for like each mile and when to open it like it was just this whole built instruction. I was like, wow, this is exactly how you get like people to like someone to finish a race. That's just a really good point of like, I, I truly did have so much support. So I had my two friends there crewing me and then you were there running it. And then, so that's, Three of my friends knew a lot of people who were um, part of like the race organizing and helping out with food and all of that, knew a lot of people who were running. But then I had letters from some of my friends in Tennessee who mapped out every single time I'd be back at the base camp. And they wrote the mileage of when I could open it. And they were spot on. It was like, okay, you're at 27 miles, you are probably starting to feel some things, open this bag for whatever. And there would be like a, a surprise in there or something that they knew that I would need at whatever mileage it was. And the last one was marked 100 miles, um, do not open until you finish. And so it was just like, I could feel their presence there, even though they couldn't physically be there with me, they were 1000% with me in those letters and just knew all the right things to say. I'm like, gosh, how, like, when did they plan these out? How do they know what I need? <laughs> yeah. It's a, it, was it was really incredible. cool. It was an incredible support system to see, like, in, in the process. Because the whole time I'm doing it, I think I had, like, my, fr my friend Maria, because also for people who aren't familiar where it happens is there's limited, very limited data, like cell service. And then Blueberry Inn has kind of Wi-Fi, So you don't get like, you don't have like an outside line to people. You can't like live track stuff, but every now and then I would go to check my phone and I would have like one text from my friend Maria or like my parents just seeing how it was going. And that's like the most support I had going on besides like you guys being there. Um, <laughs> And it was just kind of like a man, like that support system, like y'all had built in, like that's um, really got you like across the across the finish line. And also, that's kind of like what I aspire for, like when if I'm ever gonna crew someone or if I'm ever gonna have a crew, I'm like I need that type of quality because once you see that, you're like, damn, that's how you do it. Yeah, and honestly, 
in in all of my previous 100 mile attempts, whether it was Infinitus or a different race, I was very set on, I have to do this alone. I have to prove it to myself. I don't need anyone's support. I have all the motivation and everything I need is inside me. And some of those aspects are true. I do have the things that I need inside of me and I'm very capable of doing these things. But what I realized is that it was going to take an entire community because finishing a 100 mile race doesn't end up being just about the person who was running it. It takes so many people, whether it's people at aid stations, the race directors, people handwriting you cards that had prepped them a month in advance. That way you could take them with you. It's all of those things. The entire community is what helps one individual finish a 100 mile race. It's uh, it's my number one advice for people doing either a OCR ultra or an ultra. I tell them like, you can go out there and you can train all you want, but what you need is emotional and mental support. So I'm like, when you get out there, make friends. Yes. It doesn't matter if you're talking for 30 seconds or talking for, God, I did a whole lap with the guy um, and I didn't even know him before him, but we just started talking about races and I spent that whole, like almost the whole 19 mile loop with him because we were just at the same pace. So like, that's like the main thing. Once you get that support, like support that's already built in or the ones you can find, that's what'll get you to the finish. Major question is for a lot of people because you have the story of triumphing over finally getting that the DNS off your back. What is like your best advice for anyone Spartan ultra like any actually any DNF in general? Like what is like your best advice for them to like just kind of get up, dust it off, and just keep going? Like what is uh what is your best advice to them? So I think that this is something that took me a long time to learn. And it took me a while to figure out a way to put it into words. And honestly, I just figured this out. Like, I know that I haven't done any races recently, but one of the things that I'm doing now is practicing yoga. And that was never something that I had done before, really. I hadn't, I hadn't really tapped into that. And one of the things that they've taught us is that, okay, you can get into these really difficult situations. It's overwhelming. Maybe you're not doing good at something. Maybe you are perceiving that you're failing at something, but it's okay. They teach us that it's okay to feel these things. It's okay to feel uncomfortable it's okay to not be happy or be satisfied with where you're at but what you need to do is let it go feel that range of emotions that you're having and be thankful for it and just let it go completely don't think about it forget about it and take the lessons that you learned from it and use that in order to grow. I think that also just because you fail, gosh, I I failed in my mind 10 plus times at 
a 100 mile race and it took me that long to reach that goal but I think that staying motivated and adjusting and learning how to tune into yourself your body is going to tell you so much if you take the time to listen to it feel all the let it go and come back to it because I mean you'll you'll just be so sad living in in the sadness of failing something that you had worked so hard for and that's okay but don't let it be the the factor that determines whether you're going to go back out there again the answer is always yes go back out there and do it again try again and eventually things will just kind of fall together perfectly you'll end up with that like perfect recipe you'll like add the one last ingredient that you needed in order to to perfect it that was uh that was beautiful that that's exactly like <laughs> the type of advice people need is because it's yet yeah, so running ultra running and ocr like puts you in such like the dark place that like some people don't know how to pull out of it yeah Samantha, this was great. I'm so happy I got to reach out to you to uh, share your experience on this because when we came up with this topic, uh, like I told you before we started recording, I was like, you were one of the first people I thought of because I knew about the amount of times you had attempted races and eventually got it. And it's a really amazing like story of triumphs with like because of how monumental the course itself was and then also what it meant to you. So thank you for like coming on and sharing and talking about it. This was also just a blast for me because I haven't relived Infinitus in a while. So it was really nice. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad that you reached out. It's been really awesome for me to relive it too, just because I'm getting back into ramping up the mileage and trying to set my sights on some new race goals. I don't have anything exactly picked out yet but it it almost helps um me remember what it was like pre-covid and um all the fun training and traveling that that came with it so i am super super thankful that you had me on today oh yeah i'm super excited to see if you start running again uh see what comes out of it so uh yeah thank you for coming on i'll uh talk to you soon sometime okay sounds good thank you so we have someone with us today who actually wanted to come to us they approached us after finishing the Killington Ultra and they wanted to come clean um they wanted to keep themselves anonymous with this and we completely respect that um even though me and Megan both have our own biases on this but it takes it takes a lot to own up to your own mistakes in the sport. We have on our previous episodes, we have brought up the idea of people skipping obstacles in age group or not doing all their burpees, or we've even brought up people in age group and elite cutting course in the past. It's been a problem and it's something we tend to call out, but the difference is a lot of those people we called out didn't don't own up to their mistakes and they continue to move forward. Um, with Killington being as it is, it is something that is, we've said in the past it's this the kind of the standard the hardest of the ultras out there so it is something that is well coveted when you get that buckle 
So the person we have with us today really wanted to just kind of come out and address how they ended up coming to this decision and just kind of like going through the regrets and really kind of finding their place in all of this and just kind of like coming clean and being forward about their mistakes and kind of how others can learn from this. Because even though we have said in the past, and a lot of people agree, open race is kind of the Wild West. It is a run your own race type deal. Try obstacles, pass obstacles, it's fine. But there is always, when it comes to the ultra, it is not It is not about the obstacles you do, it is about the distance you go. Um, and that's really what matters in the ultra world. It's the mileage, not the obstacle completion. So I wanted to throw it off to you and just kind of how you came to the decision and just kind of like what went through your head and the places you can go to end up here. Because I think... One thing is a lot of a lot of people can relate to the fact of when you're on course, you can see, you can see the other part of a course, uh, uh, Killington. It loops back a couple times. I I'm not gonna lie, I've thought about it before, where I'm just like, and everyone's joked about it. It's like, I mean, I could just skip the ultra loop. It's right there. But um, yeah, just kind of like walk us through the steps here of how this happened. Honestly, I. It was, it was it was at a point um, after our cutoff, I honestly made a decision that I greatly, greatly, greatly regret right now today at this moment. My integrity was definitely low or little to none. I decided to cut course because I was feeling a lot of pressure. I thought my body just was at a, was at a breaking point where I, I honestly just couldn't take anything more. And mentally, I was literally at my wit's end because, you know, I had just fought like hell to make all the cutoffs and barely make the cutoffs. I just, I just kept mentally trying to push and push, and it's like the fire that um, I keep generating just, I feel like, ran out. So I decided to make to make a decision that I regret by cutting course, even skipping obstacles in the process. You know, seeing this uh, Spartan community on uh, Facebook in particular, it made me realize how looked down upon it is, and it just made me feel very, 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 very guilty. Um, so I just wanted to take this time to uh, reflect on reflect on this experience, but also ask uh, for forgiveness from the Spartan community. Yeah, it takes a lot in the community when it comes to dealing with either skipping burpees or skipping obstacles, end up cutting course. It takes a lot. Like, a lot of people tend to have that in their head and they tuck it in their back pocket and they're like, this is never going to be addressed again. The main thing is there are going to be people out there who won't forgive. I mean, that's just the way our sport is. We have a lot, we have people in the sport that just don't deal with it. What it really is coming to terms with is not proving to us that you have to rewrite kind of your image because a lot of people will always look back and go, this is, if they did this here, what does it mean for here, here, and here? Like, from this point forward, you have to show that, like, I do all my burpees. You do everything. You race you clean, race a clean race. I can relate because I, I started doing these races back in uh, 2012. But I start, I stepped into Elite. My first two races were in 20, I want to say 2014. And I can tell you in my first two races, there were two obstacles where I didn't do all 30 burpees up. At the time, and I opened, I owned up to this in my own, in one of the, the Spartan races worldwide, which used to be a riot of a Facebook group. But I owned up to it because I was like, eh, I don't really want like this stigma following me around. And I just kind of wanted to get it out there because people make mistakes in courses. But also in my head, I was like, I'm 110th in the elite field. I'm not miss skipping five burpees didn't make a difference at the time. So 
I mean, I understand exactly what it takes to own up to it, especially within the ultra community. It is a, it is one of those communities, and especially with Skellington, that it's like it's one of those races that it's all or nothing. You got to get all of it, or it's just you you accept kind of the DNF, and in your own head, you could probably accept this as a DNF there, but in the results, it doesn't change that. First and foremost, thank you for stepping up and admitting. You made a mistake in owning this. I think it takes a lot of courage to speak out and say that this happened. Um, we have been seeing more people coming forward, owning up to their mistakes, especially we know Spartan is having a problem getting volunteers, getting marshals. So there are people in you know the age group heats that are saying, no, don't give me this medal because I didn't do all of my burpees or whatever else. And we are seeing a lot more people own up. So I'm hoping by us talking about it here, more people can open up and say, hey, I fucked up. I made this mistake and I want to come clean. Please forgive me and I want to do better. Uh, but I also think that your story can be a good lesson for people as they prepare for their ultra. We hear people talk about this dark place out on course, and that's really when this fight-or-flight mentality comes in, and people try to navigate the dark places, but they ultimately can crumble. What were you feeling when you made this decision to go off course and... um how did you justify it to yourself at that time? It, it, it comes from just my experience, not just with ultras. It also comes from my experience, uh, or my lack thereof experience at Chillington as well. I didn't go to course. I didn't know how my body would be able to handle, handle the course as well. And honestly, the, the moral and the right thing for me to do to preserve the integrity of the Spartan race would have been to take the Especially seeing on Facebook how people are taking the DNF and rallying around everybody that, that has a DNF. It honestly isn't really a bad thing. Hearing you talk about your inexperience and um, just your lack of knowledge of Killington, I would even argue to say that um, your lack of knowledge of the history of Killington could probably have also played a role in this. You didn't know how big of a hurdle this was and how coveted this belt buckle is. We also then live in a society where everybody collects a participation medal. So in, you know, everybody's eyes, it's if you're going to do a race, you're going to get a medal. And that is very much not the case when you run Killington. But if you're new to the sport of obstacle course racing in Spartan and you don't know quite how big Killington is in terms of um, pedigree, you might say, okay, do what it takes to get this Killington buckle. Whereas other people know, no, you don't collect a buckle at Killington. You earn a buckle at Killington. I, I couldn't agree with that more, especially, you know, seeing the rigor and the, and the labor that we take, you know, in order to actually complete the course. Like Sabertooth said, a clean race. 
it's just not something that you just waltz into and you're just like, oh, okay, we can, you know, take our sweet time. No, no, no. And it ain't going to work. It takes a certain type of athlete. I'm not even going to say elite athlete. It just takes a certain type of athlete. And when, when you came to us and told us that you wanted to come clean, we ensured that, you know, we're not going to shame you. We're not going to blast you. While neither Charles or I agree with your decision, um, and we don't think run your own race does cover, you know, cutting course, we definitely respect you for coming clean, and we wanted to be, we wanted this to be more of that lesson to the community, because um, we know you are kicking yourself. This guilt is eating you alive, and we're hoping that other people can hear how badly you're hurting from this decision. So when they are faced with that decision of, okay, do I DNF or do I just go to the finish line and cut course? They choose that DNF versus that buckle. And especially seeing, you know, the uproar in the Spartan community after comments on Facebook, it, it honestly only puts a light, you know, how, how bad the action was. It only made me feel you know, more guilty for what I did. And I just have great regrets. Going forward, and with a lot of people, when they come to this decision, the DNF is something, like, a lot of people have a bad stigma about until they get one. So a lot of people should know, a DNF is a badge of honor. It means you gave mm-hmm. everything to that course that you possibly had. It's not that you didn't train right. It's not that this like you just woke up and had a bad day. It's that you gave everything to this course, and that course still kicked your ass. And it's now you're like, I get to take this lesson and move forward and figure it out for next year. And also, a lot of people, when if you say, "Oh, I DNF'd Killington," you're probably going to hear a lot of people go, "Me too. Been there. Like <laughs> done that. Like everyone understands. Like Killington is a." That course has a low percentage rating for a very good reason, and it's on the it's it's on the pedestal of like the best Spartan Ultra for a good reason. Um, and mm-hmm. it's because yeah, people earn that DNF, and uh, I've I wore my two with pride, like when I got mine, and it's just because it's something to learn from. Honestly, that's why we're doing this podcast. We want to take that stigma away from the DNF. We want people to wear that badge proudly and say, I gave it my all. Somebody commented on my post with the lessons about the DNF. Um, They said DNF is better than DNT, did not try. So wearing that DNF is huge and being able to own it and say, I didn't fail. I gave it my all. I tried. I gave my heart to that course and I need I have some work to do. I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna do it. Yeah, it's it's it was, it's the moral thing to do, it's the right thing to do, preserve the integrity and it only makes getting the belt buckle that especially when you do when you race a queen. What's your plan from here? You have a DNF. We're we're gonna call it a DNF. Um it's you've you know, your athletics, there's forever this asterisk in your eye. How do you rectify it now? I mean, I'm definitely going to be racing Killington in the future, and I'm going to run it. I'm going to run it in age group um, that way. That way, that takes away any potential temptation 
uh, scores, skipping officers, skipping burpees, you know, that, that automatically takes that away. So that would remove any asterisk from, I'm going to call it the fake finish. I mean, you made one mistake. I'm not going to hold it against you. You're definitely, you are holding yourself to a much higher standard now because of that guilt. And I would argue to say that you are probably going to be a racer with some of the highest integrity moving forward because you have to forever live with this guilt of, I cut course on arguably the hardest year at Killington in the ultra and I can never let this happen again. I refuse to be known for this one mistake. You'll end up like me and Megan where we just yell at other racers. On and that's why I'm marshaled. <laughs> that's, that's that is exactly why I'm marshaled this weekend. Yeah. You cannot be that person calling somebody out on course. If you're not going to step up and do your mm-hmm. part to put an end to it. But thank you so much for coming on and coming clean. Um, I think a lot of people can learn from your experiences. Hopefully this stops others from making a similar decision. And if there are racers who have previously made this decision, because like we've talked about before, we know people that have cut course on an ultra and collected a buckle. You're not the first person to cut course. On an ultra, you're not going to be the last. But hopefully, because of your story, the number of people that do cut course in the future drops significantly. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for coming on and taking Thank your you. time to tell your story. I think coming out of with Savannah's story, where we finally have this like overall triumph of Dean, like taking on this race and finishes being her first ever hundred miler, which is a big way to go and then dnfing picking herself back up knowing she like even though she didn't finish the race she didn't take it as a failure she built off of that got her second dnf and was still just like okay now i know exactly what i need to do took her time built up and actually finally got across that finish line and and it wasn't just to finally get a, wasn't wasn't just to finally get a buckle it was to finally prove yourself that she got it i think that's like kind of how a lot of people need to look at a DNF and really embrace it as not just the failure, but as this is the building block to get me to, across the finish line to the race I want to finish. Yeah, definitely. I think she has the best mindset you possibly could have for an ultra runner. I mean, I think everybody needs to go into a race with the thought of, I might not be able to do what I came out to do. And I'm okay with that. And it sounds like when the time came and she realized she wasn't going to make it, she was okay with saying, I DNF'd. It's time to get back to the drawing board and we're going to come back out and we are going to crush this again, you know, in a year or two. And I think that is absolutely awesome. And more ultra runners need to be going into a race with that mentality. But then you look at somebody like, Pete and Ben, and I think it's awesome to bring those two on together because it was a very drastic, um, a very big contrast of when do we need to call it and when can we push forward. I mean, Ben was running faster than Pete, but Ben was struggling. But then seeing Pete coming and hurting and Pete saying, hey, man, I can't keep going, that actually pushed Ben to go 
farther into the race. Yeah, it is. Uh, he found that second wind of, uh, and like you said, I didn't. He didn't want Pete's effort to go on and uh, to go on unrecognized. Or so he picked up the picked up the sword and kept running with it, and he got him to the cross the finish. And for his first attempt at uh, Killington, uh, the ultra that is, because Pete this was not his first dance with Killington, the mountain in general. But for both of them to one to have finished uh and rebounded and the other one to know when to call the dnf is definitely a big i mean it's a big win and they and they're both their ultra uh ultra careers i should say because i mean eh. yeah and actually pete's gonna go out and he's gonna crush the jersey ultra in a couple of weeks we are recovering this week we're gonna go into some maintenance mode tapering and he's gonna go back out in jersey in the beginning of october and this is going to be his second Jersey Ultra, and he's already gotten that buckle once, so I have no doubt he's going to be able to use the experiences from Killington to beat Jersey in a couple of weeks. And honestly, listening to their story about how they were able to use each other throughout the race and to have that pick-me-up, it kind of reminds me of my 24-hour race and seeing you out there. I know you weren't as trained as you wanted to be for that 24 hour and you had bigger goals but when you realized that maybe you weren't going to be able to do what you could do you still stuck it out you helped me fight for that entire 24 hours and i'd be willing to i i think i could probably be accurate in saying that having me and you together with brian and mike and everybody else that allowed us to go farther than we probably would have had we done it solo. Oh yeah. It's definitely a different mindset. Uh but Savannah said that as well. Like when you have the right community around you and the right people, even if it's just one other random person racing, it makes a huge difference. I credit uh I credit one of the guys I ran a whole 19 mile loop with at Infinitus. If I hadn't run into him at the beginning of that loop I probably wouldn't have finished my my full 100 miler because it was just having someone f- at my own pace and we just kind of finished. And that's really what gets you through this is actually it's not this isn't a solo sport at all, even though it is like in the long run. But you make friends and that's really what gets you through this, even when you are as tired as you possibly can be. 100 percent. Now, I I think we definitely need to address that major elephant in the room because this is a DNF episode and having somebody come to us and say, hey, I cut course. I'm not proud of it. I want to own up to it. I think we should definitely reiterate our stance on the matter. I definitely don't want people in the community coming to us and saying glorifying, cheating, or anything else. Um, I think us bringing this person on and letting them come clean is very admirable for them, but I don't want people to think it is anything other than us letting them tell their story. And I want to be the first to say that I do not condone cutting course, cheating. I do not think cutting a course is in the definition of run your own race. Um So I wanted to make sure that we reiterate that before we close out this episode, because in no way is 
having somebody come on and say, I cut course, um, justification for or allowing them to then cut course in the future. We don't want anybody to ever think this is okay. Yeah, definitely. It is uh, something that when they first came to us, I was initially like, oh, no way. Because I put Killington on such a high pedestal. I hold it to a high regard. Um, I think that's like the hundredth time I've said pedestal about Killington with this. And then, uh, yeah, it's definitely something that it doesn't fall within the run your own race guidelines because cutting courts on any distance isn't okay. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it took a lot for them to come in and talk about it. And it took a lot for us to really come to understand it, but we see the personal growth in people when they f admit that they were wrong and they didn't just move forward acting like it didn't happen. They wanted to address it in a way that they could come clean under the under anonymously and then uh wanted to get that out there so they could somehow be clean in their own mindset and then go back and get Killington the next year and keep continuing with their own OCR career. Importantly, I think they definitely wanted to lead by example and discourage people from doing this in the future. I think when when this happened for that person they didn't realize the magnitude of their actions. It was a flight or fight response. And again, this is in no way justification or excuse, but that flight or fight response kicked in and they fled. And now they have to live with this guilt. And hopefully by hearing the guilt from this person, somebody else will get into that situation. And instead of, you know, saying, I just need to go to the finish, that person will have the gumption to say, I don't think I can go on. I'm going to go turn my timing chip in. I'm not going to finish the race. And again, as you can see with the other guests we've had on this show today, it is okay to DNF. It is not uncommon. You can be proud of what you've done on that course without having that buckle to show for it. It only shows personal growth and um, pride in who you are and where you are in your training. You don't always need to have that buckle to have a good experience. I think that is the best place to wrap up this episode. Honestly, I, I think this is a great one and I think, I hope, the community can take a lot away from this episode. So we are coming into OCRWC week now, and we are really excited to keep this podcast moving forward. So hopefully you will be hearing from us again next week with more leading up to OCRWC. And who knows, maybe you will be seeing us out there on the course in Stratton as well. But we are going to wrap this thing up. So my name is Megan. I am Meggie B ATC on Instagram. I am the OCR trainer, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. I do have my own online coaching and obstacle fitness business. So go ahead, look me up. I am the OCR trainer. And I am Charles. I am only on Instagram at Sabretooth underscore OCR. That is S-A-B-R-E-T-O-O-T-H underscore OCR. I don't know. Like my photos as I wear gooder and all the other stuff I do. So <laughs> that's what I got the plug.
We are Middle of the Pack Podcast. It is Middle of the Pack Pod on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I believe it's, what, Mid-Pack Pod or something on the Twitter that we don't ever use. Um, If you are listening to us, you have already been able to find our episodes, but we are on all of your favorite podcasting apps. So if you are on Apple, don't forget to rate and review, um, share on whatever app you use. We do have a link in our link tree on our Instagram and Facebook. Until next time, we will see you next week. Good luck with your OCRWC or Tahoe prep. We will catch you guys soon.